The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Well, I think certainly poor execution and, uh, you know, that's what it comes down to. It's a game of execution and... Obviously, they, you know, made more plays than we did and made some just bad, terrible turnovers, and it's hard to win, uh, turn the ball over like that. So, that's a, I obviously got to do a lot better job. Bruce, to see two interceptions from, from Tom Brady, uh, I don't know how much you've been able to see those, but what happened on those two plays that, that led to the mistakes? Uh, one was a miscommunication between he and Mike, and uh, he thought Mike was going down the middle. It's a different coverage. Mike read it right, and uh, he should have sort of bent across his face, but Tom just overthrew it. And the other one was the, uh, it was a screen pass with an outlet called and he threw the outlet and it was a pick six. Bad decision. This has been a, a strenuous, long process for me. And yet through it all, you know, it's just been gratifying. And I just had such a sense of gratitude, you know, to the New England Patriots and, and to this team just to give all that I could possibly give and, and, and hell of high water finish today at this particular time with us, you know, having, going home with a win. You are obviously someone who has seen a lot of football in your day, been involved in a lot of games. What was the atmosphere like in the stadium without fans there? Can you compare it to anything else that you've experienced uh, in your football life? Practice. We saved the cheeriest guy for the very end. It's got a new practice, Mike. It's like he's overtaken Allen Iverson with his practice. Now it's just one practice. And practice. it was good that he cleaned, cleaned the little loose pieces of peanuts out of his teeth before he answered. I'm glad he did that for us. Uh, I want to go back to the beginning, though, because when Tom Brady talks about execution in a Tampa Bay setting, how can you not mention the late, great John McKay? When he was coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it lost 33 straight games to begin their existence right. from 1976 to 1977. You know it? the line, right? Wait, the line right. was yeah. the line was 
Coach, what do you think about your team's execution? And he said, I'm in, I'm favor. in favor of it. <laughs> That's one of the greatest so. of all time. He had so many good one-liners. But, uh, yeah, it didn't exactly end up, uh, you know, the, 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 the type of game Tom Brady and the Buccaneers wanted, and they did not execute well, and that's why they lost the football game. Well, and so much of what we saw yesterday, Chris, first Sunday of the 2020 NFL season, if you haven't been paying attention. Oh, by the way, hello to anyone who is watching on Peacock. Also, Sky Sports, a little bit later in the day, 7 o'clock local time in the UK and in Ireland, as far as I know. Sometimes I know, sometimes I don't. Sirius XM 211. And also, welcome back, NBCSN crowd watching the re-air. It's just for today, this week, the Tour de France. France, still happening. We'll be back next week, unless they don't let us back on on a regular basis at 9 a.m. Eastern. But football is back. It was a great feeling. But, Chris, something that you were hammering, something that is so simple, so clear, an Occam's razor type of a thing, the teams that have the continuity were more likely to win. And look at all the new moving parts for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Look at all the not new moving parts for the New Orleans Saints. And should we be surprised by the outcome? No, we shouldn't. You know, I, I think we, we both saw that this, again, all the talent on the roster, yes, we see the potential. But, you know, I, I do think a lot of us in the media and really fans, everybody, we're doing a little discredit to what we call like the ultimate team sport and kind of disrespecting some of the other teams in the NFC South, especially like the New Orleans Saints. But, yes, you saw it yesterday. Yeah, it's a new cast of characters. Mike Evans not totally healthy. Tom Brady not on the same page with Evans, getting used to little nuances in the offense, you know, and Bruce Arians tells you he makes a bad, you know, bad interception with the pick six. So it's a work in progress. I didn't expect it to hit the ground running, especially in a year like this. Uh, so we'll see where they go from here, but I I'm certainly not counting them out. They still got a lot of talent on that team. And before I forget the comment from Bruce Arians, that's the kind of public candor that Tom Brady isn't used to. Definitely He's not. used to privately being right. ripped by Bill Belichick. But Bill Belichick will never say something like that publicly. Arians is not going to, to hesitate. So, hey, Tom, you know, Tom, that was your fault. Bad decision. Yeah, I'm both Belichick of them, never says, says that. No, I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean. Right? The other and, one he and said. And how much. Right. How did he say and, the other and, one? Well, that it was uh, a bad communication bad and communication. Evans ran the right route. Right. Yeah, but that's... Evans ran the right route. Right. That was the key part. Exactly. I remember last year how many mental gymnastics Bruce Arians did to defend Jameis Winston. Every interception he threw, it seemed like, wasn't his fault. So, look, everybody gets coached differently, and this is a new reality for Tom Brady. Maybe he's going to be nicer to you in the film room. Maybe he's not. Who knows? He's going to find out soon. But publicly, he's not going to pull punches. He's not going to protect you. He's not going to give the grunts and the one-word answers that are in part aimed at shielding the players from extra and unnecessary scrutiny and criticism from the media and from fans. So that's part of Tom Brady's new reality. Chris, let me tell you this. Yeah. When I looked up yesterday at 425 Eastern or right about them, right about the time the game was getting ready to start, and I saw Tom Brady in that white jersey with the red 12. Shocking. It was jar, And I, yeah. we knew it was coming. It was jarring yeah. to see him on a sideline. In a Tampa Bay Buccaneer road jersey, I, 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 and we've known it for six months. It, it was just, it was the weirdest and most prominent lightning bolt of the day for me to see that visual. 
Yeah, I, I agreed. I, I can re- still, you know, see him or or see that image in my head of him running out of the tunnel yesterday and just thinking how weird that was and the fact that he was unable. I mean, just not just in that uniform, the way he looked, everything like that. Uh, it, it's just crazy. You're right. It's going to take some getting used to. It was like that with Cam Newton up in New England. But uh, either way, yeah, the New England, I mean, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got a lot of new moving parts right now. They they do. And Brady was not on the same page. He's still learning the nuances of that offense. And honestly, New Orleans didn't look a whole lot better on the offensive side of the ball either. But Brady helped them, you know, with the two turnovers, kind of get jump started that way. Uh, and the way the game started out, I thought Brady and the co- and company were really going to be hitting on all cylinders on offense. Yeah, right down the field. Right, Brady scores a rushing touchdown, seven nothing. Just to see that on the screen, Tampa Bay seven, New Orleans nothing. That that was, uh, I thought, right. a sign that they were going to go at least toe to toe. Yeah, but the Saints eventually pulled Tom away, Brady fueled by those sneak. mistakes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brady in all, 23 for 36, 239 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, two interceptions, and three sacks. So uh, Jameis Winston watches on because right now Brady's on pace for 32 touchdowns and 32 interceptions. Maybe he can be Mr. 30-30 for the second straight year. For, for it, it never happened before last is that, year. Maybe is that irony? Quarterback is that ir- is, in a row. We talked about irony last week and how you, know, you, you were talking about how uh, Alanis Morissette messed that up. Is that irony when – the, the old quarterback of the other team who has been replaced because he threw too many interceptions, now he's sitting on the other sideline and the new quarterback comes in and does the same thing? Would that classify I, as that? I think it's closer to irony than a black fly in your Chardonnay. I know okay. that. I'm not <laughs> sure whether or not it fits within the definition on all squares. Okay. And I don't know whether or not this is irony, but I looked at the the uh, the final box score, the game log that the NFL puts together, because that's really the only place to get all of the detailed information about who played, who didn't, snap percentages, et cetera. The only guy from the entire New Orleans Saints active roster that didn't get into the game yesterday was Jameis Winston. Wow. <laughs> the one guy who surely would have loved to have a piece of his former team. You'd think Sean Payton would have found something for Jameis Winston to do against his former team. Well, maybe that'll happen at some point during the next matchup. He'll infuse him in there some way just to give a little jab back at the Buccaneers or whatever else that, you know, that may be. But it, this early in the year, they were still trying to find their way to New Orleans. They certainly weren't, like, overly impressive with the way they look. Defense, you know, did play well. Obviously, with the two big turnovers, that jump-started the football team. But – you know, I, I would think Sean Payton, Drew Brees, they're going to go back and watch that film today, too. And they're not going to feel necessarily real good about their performance either. You know, their, their inability to kind of create big plays in the pass game, we kind of saw that arise once again, Mike. The offensive line didn't dominate the way we're used to it, you know, used to seeing it uh, dominate the line of scrimmage. But I know that's a good front with the Bucks. But, yeah, those were two teams yesterday that were working out the kinks. And it was just the one team that, you know, like you said, to start the, start the show here. One team's played together, been battle-tested. The quarterback knows the offense and the nuances of it, and there was no mistakes or I'm not on the same page as you or we didn't see that the same way, and we saw another team that had those issues, and that was the difference in the game. The good news for the Buccaneers, the schedule gets a little bit softer. They've got the Panthers coming to town, although the Panthers may not be the easy out that everyone thought they were. I'm sure we'll be talking about that over the course of the next two hours. Then it's at Denver. Chargers and at Bears before a visit from the Packers. So next four games, not like going to New Orleans and playing the Saints. How long do you think it's going to take Brady to really get into 
the rhythm that he needs in order to thrive in Tampa and make good on the prediction by many in the media, including me, that the Buccaneers would get to the Super Bowl? I think it's going to take a few weeks. I do. I think it could be one of those things where, you know, week three, week four, somewhere in that range is to where you start to see, okay, yep, Bruce Arians has got a good feel for what Tom likes called in certain situations. Tom understands what Bruce and Byron Leftwich mean by certain calls. You know, there's there's little hidden messages that you learn through experience talking to your offensive coordinator and head coach about nuances of plays where they explain to you, you know, hey, you know, Tom, I called this play because I was thinking this, and at the very worst, we can do that, right? And I think those are things that they're going to continue to just work on through dialogue and figuring out what works best for their football team. So I don't expect it to be a whole lot better next week. But like you said, it's lesser competition. And another big part of that, Mike, is they need a healthy Mike Evans. I mean, we know he's a difference maker and he was non-existent yesterday. So when you have no Mike Evans and then no run game to go on that, I don't care who you are, Tom Brady, Superman, whoever it is, it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding against a team like the New Orleans Saints. On the other side of the uh field drew Brees, 18 for 30 160 yards two touchdowns 160 yards for a guy that's had 5,000 yard seasons over and over again a guy who's been a passing yards machine that's a quarter for drew Brees. Seriously, 160 yards not prime, a full game right, right? yeah and it's the one uh, mike again i don't mean to be this first off we saw two old quarterbacks yesterday. They were they're old. I don't know what else to say. We're not going to sit there and never go. Oh my gosh, what a play! Blah blah blah. They have to beat you with the offense, the scheme, dissecting you with their brain and the occasional throw. But Mike, I'm already week one going. I'm a little scared about New Orleans. Can they stretch the field? Can they get people to back off? I mean, we never saw. A throw down the field other than two throws to Jared Cook. One I want to say was like in the second quarter and then one was third quarter or so. But that was the only thing we saw all day as far as an aggressive mindset or type of play from the Saints offense. And I don't know, it just scares me uh, this early this early on. And you know, yesterday the Sunday splash reports were back and everywhere oh. you looked, it was how close Tom Brady came to signing with the Saints. And it was a two-pronged approach. First, before Drew Brees decided to play again. And then, even after Brees decided to play, it continued. And it came from everywhere. And let me tell you something. I have a, I have it. You want my Monday conspiracy theory? I, I, because early, I, I have a conspiracy late. theory, too, but I'd love to hear this. Go ahead. I think all of this came directly from Brady and his camp, with his agent being the conduit for the story being handed to NFL Network, ESPN, and Fox. Here's why. In all of the talk that came out yesterday about the possible destinations for Tom Brady, and the Bears were one, the, the Saints got most of the focus, the Chargers were mentioned again, there was never a whisper about the fact that he wanted to go to San Francisco and supplant his agent's other quarterback client, Jimmy Garoppolo. That was never a, brought up a single time. You're, you know, Mike, that's uh, – first off, my conspiracy theory was the same exact conspiracy theory, except I didn't even think about that aspect. You're right. Very odd we didn't bring up the team that he we know he wanted to go to. I mean, 
Yes, I thought the same thing though. When I when I was kind of eating breakfast yesterday morning, like you, and you know you're watching the shows and everything else, this report came out, and the first thing I thought of is I went, "Man, did Tom Brady let all this out to kind of screw with Drew Brees and the Saints on game day, knowing this was going to come out right now and and kind of play that type of game?" I, I mean, that's really that's exactly what I thought. Now I don't know if that's true, but. It just seems very coincidental, and even more so when you add that little fact that I missed uh, you know, yesterday. Here's how the sausage gets made, folks. Someone like Don Yee calls around to these reporters and says, I got a hell of a story for you for the first Sunday of the season. Are you ready for it? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, let me tell you this, though. Price of admission is when talking about these dynamics that I'm about to disclose to you, there's one thing that I have to not let be mentioned. If you promise me you won't mention that, I'll tell you the whole story. And because the space is so competitive, 99% of the reporters out there will do that deal. Right. And the manifestation of it is it was crickets yesterday on something that wasn't just reported, Chris. It was talked about by everyone involved. Kyle Shanahan admitted it. Jimmy Garoppolo admitted it. John Lynch, the GM of the 49ers, admitted it. This wasn't a secret. And yesterday it was like it never even happened. Yeah, it's really, uh, Mike, I, I'm not going to lie. You know, the story came out. I thought of my conspiracy theory. I went into football mode. I never thought of that aspect of it. But uh, it, it certainly seems like that when you start to sit here and, and kind of flesh it out. Read between well, the, the bottom tea leaves, line flesh is, it out. You know, read, one of those. Read between the tea leaves, flesh it out, flush it out. It didn't work. <laughs> the Saints still won, although Breeze did not have a Drew Breeze day. Leonard Fournette did not have a Leonard Fournette day. No. Five carries. For five yards and his long was six yards which means on the other four carries he was minus one combined yeah it wasn't pretty I mean I don't think anything you can really look at at the Buc Buccaneers offense all day and go oh that was pretty I mean Ronald Jones he was a little better than Leonard Fournette but you know that's the other aspect of this of this team we want to see can they be you know a dual threat type of offense you know, even in Jameis Winston's good and bad, there's always been lack of a running game there in Tampa. There's never been balance. So that is something they're going to have to continue to work on, especially for a guy like Brady, because Brady is a great play action passer as well. Uh, and that would be something that, you know, helps him, helps a guy at that age slow down the pass rush, do those type of things. So there's work to be done, done in Tampa. There's no doubt about that. Taysom Hill also was not used much considering how much money is being paid to him by the New Orleans Saints. One for one, a late throw in the game, kind of something to put on film to get teams to think about That's down right. the road because it really wasn't necessary. It was a well-designed play, a flip to, you know, a lateral from Drew Brees to Taysom Hill, and he throws it 38 yards to Alvin Kamara. So one for one for 38 yards, three carries for 13 yards, one catch for 14 yards. Again, doesn't cry out. 16 million guaranteed on a two-year contract but uh, it's early it's early yeah and uh, you know I'm, I'm not I'm not going to throw my guy Taysom Hill overboard because I still think he's got the skills to be uh, a very good quarterback in that offense especially if if Drew Brees uh, is going to continue to have 160 yards a game yeah right no doubt well and, and again they're paying Taysom Hill a lot of that money too is just the for the rights to retain him for what he could be in the future and I think they see somebody that could be the heir apparent to Drew Brees and we know he does have a special skill set. He does pop when he's on the screen. There's no doubt about that. And from the way the offense looked yesterday, and the way and you know we're, Michael Thomas hurts his ankle a little bit in the in the matchup, and he's dealing with that, they might have to infuse him more into the offense this week just to get a little spark and get some explosive plays going. 
I'm glad you mentioned Michael Thomas because it was a fire drill yesterday to find out something about the ankle before we talked about the game last night on Football Night in America. And you could see the 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 ankle get injured. Alvin Kamara fell on Michael Thomas down near the goal right. line late in the game. It was garbage time. But when do you pull your offense off the field? You're only up 11. No. It's not like you're going to pull them and out. And you're at getting that them point. in shape. It's their first game. Right. You want to get them going and, a little. Right. And, and stuff happens. It's amazing injuries like that don't happen more often yeah. with all the bodies flying around on an NFL gridiron. But I was told last night that Thomas was walking around the locker room, wouldn't let the trainers look at it, but they were determined to get a look at it. And then after that, Chris, it was crickets which tells me that Sean Payton intervened at some point. This is my guess and said nothing more about this gets out. Uh, and we'll find out Wednesday on the injury report, whether and to what extent Michael Thomas practices, is he injured? They, they don't want people knowing yet. They want, they, no, there are minimum requirements as right. to what they must disclose yeah. and nothing must be disclosed before Wednesday. So the fact that it's silent makes me think that, yeah, that, that it's it definitely continues to merit paying attention. to. No, it. no question. No doubt about that. And, you know, he's such a big part of the offense. And even, you know, before that, though, you know, again, they, they had a hard time getting him involved yesterday. The one thing and I'll be excited to watch the game film. That's something, you know, I'll do today with Ron Jaworski is, uh, you know, just the fact that I popped out to me a lot in different moments. Again, they they went out of their way to not get exposed by Michael Thomas in the short passing game and Alvin Kamara in the short, short passing game. And when you take that away, you know th this is going to be the big question for the Saints for me as we go on here. What's going to be the next phase of the offense? What's Drew Brees going to do after that to create create plays? And I think that's something they're going to really have to think about in New Orleans uh, to make sure their offense is well-rounded and tougher to defend. And as the Drew Brees deep ball has continued to diminish, yeah. that's what teams are going to do. Exactly right. You're going you're to move closer and closer to the line of scrimmage. It's like moving the batters up when the guy can't hit the ball over your head. You're, I mean, the fielders, you're going to move all batters, fielders, whatever, same difference. They know who we mean. You're going to move the fielders up until he can hit the ball over your head. And yeah. I remember Drew Brees in camp saying that he worked on it in the offseason on his deep ball. I mean, Father Time has worked on your deep ball. That, that's the reality. No doubt. And that deep ball, that once that deep ball's gone, it's not going to come back. There's no exercise you can do that's making that, that, that making that deep ball come back. I mean, maybe you can get the absolute most out of what you can still exactly, do. Exactly, right. But it ain't coming back. No, all right. you're not. Go ahead. Let's go to the next one. Cam Newton's coming back, oh. and Cam Newton is back, and Cam Newton got it done yesterday. 15 for 19, 155 passing yards, 15 rushes for 75 yards, two touchdowns, two sacks in a win over the Miami Dolphins to get it going. Here is Cam Newton talking about Josh McDaniels, the guy who has designed this new offense for Cam. You know, Josh has been calling plays the, the same way for a long time. So now knowing, you know, the dialogue that we had on the sidelines was unbelievable. Just him being transparent as well as, well as myself being transparent on how we can attack this defense. They, they had a lot of things that, you know, we went over and they tried to disguise a lot. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we, we made the, the adjustments and um, we executed. We executed. 21 to 11 was the final score. It was by no means a blowout. And it's impossible to tell at this point how good or bad any team is. That's one thing about week one. You never know how good the team is that beat you. And you never know how bad the team is that you beat. 
We'll find out as the rest of the season unfolds. But Cam Newton looked the part. I mean, that's what we're always searching for early in the season. Who looks the part? Who doesn't? Right. Cam Newton looked like Cam Newton of old, Chris. He definitely did, Mike. I, I mean, first off, I think, you know, you said 21-11. It was, I think, the score a little bit, you know, closer than what it really was on the field. Right. And Keel Harry fumbles on the one foot yard, one foot line going in. They missed a chip shot field goal at one point. At no point did I ever feel like the Dolphins were a threat to win the football game. I kept going, man, New England should have put them away already, but they didn't. But but regardless, wow. I mean, wow. I mean, that, that's all I can really say. I mean, first off, Cam Newton looked phenomenal running the football. All the things they did around him threw the ball really well. I mean, really, all the drop back pass attempts. Thought he was on the money with where he put the ball, hanging in the pocket, delivering the right arc and pace on the ball, whatever it may be. But, you know, the big thing is, is kind of what he alluded to there. I mean, Josh McDaniels, what he did yesterday. I mean, just just that game alone, you sat there and went, ooh, I mean, what are they going to do here? How are they going to attack you? Whoa, this guy's going this way. This guy's going that way. There goes Cam. This guy's going that way. This guy's going that way. Oh, it's somebody up the middle. I, I just, I, I really think they're going to find the proper formula, and Cam Newton seems so bought in and just loving the experience in which he's involved right now. Uh, it was it was fun to watch yesterday. I had more fun watching that game and, and that offense being unveiled, I think, than anything in football yesterday. Is that weird? I just I really enjoyed it. No, no, because no. that was every bit as stunning to see Cam Newton in red, white, and blue right? than it was to see Tom Brady. I still think the most jarring was Brady because we've got 20 years yeah. of memory of him with New England, but for Cam Newton to be the guy who replaces him, and, and look, they, they were excited about it, the energy and everything that goes along with it. The one thing, Chris, that concerned me, when I say it looked like the Cam Newton of old, that's good, but it's also bad because there were too many times he was hit, too many times he was in a cluster of bodies as they yep. were trying to drag that giant to the ground. That's the kind of thing that if they don't manage it properly, it's eventually going to get him injured. And I was confident and hopeful that what we would see from the Patriots yesterday was a more deliberate attempt to keep him out of harm's way. And when you consider everything he's been through physically, and, and, and I think they may be seduced the same way the Panthers were sure. by this statue who walks into the facility, who looks indestructible. The problem is he's destructible. He's but, still yeah. built of the same stuff the rest of us are. And, and I, there were too many times yesterday when I looked up, and we're watching nine games at once, but too many times I look up and I see him getting slammed into, dragged to the ground. It's like, you've got to be a little more careful with this guy or he's not going to be there when December rolls around. Yeah, they used him. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I will say you're, you're right. He was in a mosh pit of bodies a few times, you know, a few of them. Hey, it's what he had to do. It was third and shorts, fourth and shorts. You know, for the most part, he does do a good job of kind of getting down or trying not to take those type of blows. Um, but, you know, I think New England went into that game. And, you know, we saw this in some other games, too. We could even say this about Josh Allen and Buffalo, where yeah, you, I think they're just going in, let's, let's get a win in game one. Let's get any, any advantage we can. And the advantage was they don't know what to expect from our Cam Newton run offense. As much as Brian Flores knows our offense, he doesn't know this aspect, and he hasn't seen any of that. So I think they rode that hard. I think Belichick's very smart, though. He'll realize, like, I can't do this to this guy week after week after week. And then I think what you'll see next week is the next level. You know, the stuff off of that. Because now, okay, here, we put out these plays for Cam Newton and all these crazy designs. All right. 
They're going to have a plan formulated for, okay, we think this is how a team's going to defend us next week. And when you start doing that, here comes plan B to screw you over. And they'll have a whole bunch of new plays off of what we saw them be successful with this week. And I think that's why they did it, Mike. It was probably just to get the win, get off the schneid, get off the, hey, it's Cam Newton era, we're done with Tom Brady. And now they can almost use it as like a decoy, as you say, like like for the rest of the year to open up a lot of other things. And, of course, they'll run them when they really need them. And not just for the rest of the year. They are going to Seattle to play a team that has ample experience defending Cam Newton. Right? There was a time where Cam Newton and Russell Wilson, in my mind, had the potential to become the the new Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Yeah. Where where they were crossing paths regularly. They met in the playoffs multiple times. One time the Panthers got the better of the Seahawks. Another time the Seahawks got the better of the Panthers. I think they've only met twice in the postseason. But this is Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. And Pete Carroll knows how to defend Cam Newton. Yes. And maybe, maybe this is the setup. Maybe yesterday was the setup for what's coming on Sunday when New England goes to Seattle. Well, it, it could be. And, you know, again, the, 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 this, like, Pete Carroll defense, Russ, I mean, Jamal Adams, that's going to be fun to watch. He does know how to defend this. But he hasn't defend Cam, had to defend Cam Newton with Josh McDaniels as his, his offensive game planner. And I think that's a different animal. Because Josh, again, one, yesterday showed he – like all great offensive coordinators, he exposes the defensive rules or their adjustments. How many times did we see motions or things like that? And you went, whoa, they don't have a guy over here for Cam Newton. You know, the one touchdown he ran out to the right, I think it was the first touchdown of the game for Cam Newton. I mean, he nobody two-hand touched him. You know, so that's where it's going to be different. You have a, a, a coaching staff, and Belichick gets his nose in the offense too, who will go – hey, wait, Josh, if you did this, I wouldn't like this if I was the defensive coordinator. This would be an issue for me. You should do more of that. That's where New England's great. They will figure out how to communicate and use the stress of Cam Newton and the things he can do to a team schematically to their advantage. And they understand how teams adjust and do that, and that's why they can expose people. And you see people wide open or a run gash, you know, a team like they did yesterday every now and then because they're just on another level that way. We're getting very low on time in this segment, but your thoughts on the New England defense post-free agency defections and opt-outs? Yeah, I I still thought it looked really good. I mean, again, the biggest thing, Mike, and I know we've talked about it a lot, is that secondary still intact. No, there's no Patrick Chung, but if there was a safe position on their defense they could afford to lose, it's safety. They have them growing on trees there, and that just, no matter who their front seven is, because they can match up with Gilmore and J.C. Jackson and Jonathan Jones, and then you have McCourty, who's an awesome safety and can match up like a corner two, it allows their front seven to do so many different things. They play off their secondary, which allows them to hide maybe a lack of talent sometimes on their front seven because of all the creative and different things they can do. It's all about that secondary, and it's special, and uh, I still think it's going to be one of the better defenses in football all right let's take a break while we were all focused on tom brady versus drew Brees yesterday the most significant game of the day in my opinion was unfolding on the west coast we're going to talk about what happened in the nfc west what happened to the team that owned the nfc west last year when pft live continues right after this i'll sit on the sideline just sitting there thinking like man this is uh it just feels different. Um, you know, I feel like we're coming out on top. And, uh, you know, we did. So I think that's just a testament to our team, you know, sticking through it, sticking in it. Um, 
you know, face facing adversity today that we haven't been able to face all camp uh, with no preseason stuff like that. So, I, you know, I'm proud of the way the guys fought today. Um, I think they did a heck of a job. Kyler Murray, the potential future MVP of the National Football League. Man. The trend holds second year quarterbacks Man. taking the NFL over. And Kyler Murray played more as a rookie than Patrick Mahomes did, than Lamar Jackson did. The guys uh, who have won the last two MVPs, respectively, in their second seasons. And, man, Kyler Murray and company going to Santa Clara on a crazy day with air quality index issues and the possibility of the game being relocated looming over everything until the plane took off from Arizona on Saturday and it looked like everything was a go. The Cardinals get it done. And, man. Chris, I picked the right score. I just didn't go with the right winner as much as I wanted to. I talked myself out of it, and I wish I hadn't because I had a feeling the Cardinals were going to do something. They they competed well last year with the 49ers, and they had something ready for week one. And for the defending division champions, the defending one seed, to fall at home to go to 0-1 to a division rival, I know fans not there makes it feel different, but th th this, this is huge for the Cardinals. And it's huge in a bad way for the 49ers. It, it is. I mean, first off, I got to just talk about Kyler Murray for a second. I mean, what what is it with these young quarterbacks? Mahomes, Lamar, Deshaun Watson. I, I'm just amazed at their maturity. They're just never getting flustered. Just nothing, never bat an eye, no matter how big the moment, who, who they're playing against. I, I'm just amazed by it. I really am. You know, and San Francisco learned a lesson yesterday. They had a chance. They really did. They, they they had a chance early on to really kind of grab the game by its, you know, proverbial horns or whatever and control oh. it. All right? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But but they did. You know, when you really look at it, there's the they block punt sets up the Cardinals for the first touchdown. They have a fourth and one on the one foot line. They don't get a touchdown there. Cardinals ball points left on the board as you know I mean just like any team out there I don't care who you are when you start to squander those type of opportunities it, it's this is the National Football League you open the door for a, a team that might have been trying to find its way to finally get some confidence and go okay hey yeah we belong on this field and then the other thing is with Murray he's the equal he's the great equalizer of that 49ers defense he's really their kryptonite in a lot of ways because of the way Kingsbury spreads the field, the a lot of quick and short passes, and then his ability to scramble, it negates the 49ers' great pass rush. They can't really pin their ears back and just fly because they know if they fly and miss them, you'll get zoom, 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 like we saw already in one of those touchdowns with Kyler Murray where he scrambled for, what was that, uh, Mike, a 22-yard run where it looked like a video game? So he is a tough matchup, and the Cardinals, the way they play, are a tough matchup for the San Francisco 49ers and that zone defense that's so reliant on that front four getting home. 26 for 40 for 230 yards, one touchdown, one pick, 13 rushes for 91 yards, a touchdown, and two sacks. He Jeez. had 100 rushing yards until the last two plays of the game. When, you, when your victory formation is shotgun formation – you're going to lose rushing yards. That's this is a stinks. new dynamic for the yeah. Cardinals. Nine yards gone because he was in shotgun. He lost five yards, then four yards on the last two snaps of the game because they didn't just line up and put him under center like they usually do. 
uh, in a situation like that. But uh, that's a good problem for the Cardinals to have. That's a new problem. And they have a new weapon in DeAndre Hopkins. Ooh, and baby. look, pl- plenty of love already being shared between Hopkins and Kyler Murray for all the times they connected yesterday. But, you know, Chris, what I was thinking, you don't want DeAndre Hopkins to become a crutch for Kyler Murray the same way he was a crutch for Deshaun Watson. I think the ball needs to be spread around a little bit more than that. Well, yes, but but we'll see. What will they do off of it? You know, a crutch player can be great if your offensive coordinator knows how to use that crutch player and go, okay, I know he's a crutch player, but I'm going to use him as a pawn now. And I'm going to continue to try to teach my quarterback, hey, we're using him as a decoy here on this play because we throw him the ball so much and you're going to have to continue to infuse things like that in the offense. That's what the great offenses do. And I think, yeah, there was moments you could say in DeAndre Hopkins in Houston, they didn't do enough of that to find ways to use him as a decoy. Uh, But we'll see. I mean, again, Cliff Kingsbury, second year in the NFL, continues to impress. Kyler Murray, that combination, they put pressure on you on the offensive side of the ball. And then, you know, one of the big questions we had too was their defense and they, they really played really good football yesterday against the 49ers. And of course the 49ers weren't at full strength either. So when you got George Kittle who gets hurt because of a crappy screen pass from your quarterback and he exposes them there, and then you have a bunch of receivers that are already banged up going into the football game, you saw a less than average passing attack and really an average game by Jimmy Garoppolo other than one play. And I just don't care who you are. When you add up all these things we've just said there, it's going to be tough to win a football game. Before we break down what happened with the 49ers, consider this as it relates to DeAndre Hopkins. He had 14 catches for 151 yards yesterday, 16 targets. The next guy on the list for targets was Larry Fitzgerald and Chase Edmonds and Christian Kirk also five each. Christian Kirk, a lot of hype and hope for him. Five targets, one catch, zero yards. But 16 targets for Hopkins more than three times what the next guy's got that, and uh yeah, that that's won't a sign fly. of things to come yeah that won't fly you're right it's not going to fly consistently there's no doubt about that that's why again it's the perfect matchup what does san francisco do mike they play that seattle scheme they never man they never double it's my problem with this scheme sometimes it's things like this there's going to be other defenses Arizona's going to play that are going to have lockdown corners like a Jalen Ramsey. Well, they'll go, hey, we'll put Jalen on you. Sometimes we'll put Jalen and somebody else on you, and we'll do all these crazy type things. That's not the way this defensive system works, and that's why it's it's a tough matchup for them, and it's why Arizona seems to hang around and, and be a gnat uh, and bother the 49ers. Throw that tweet back up there. That was DeAndre Hopkins after the game, making it clear this is what y'all wanted to see. Now, when he traded, when he tweeted grateful the other night, it supposedly was about him being on Jimmy Fallon, not about the Texans getting their butts kicked without him. I have a feeling that's not about Jimmy Fallon. No, it's not. This is what not. y'all wanted to see. That's about the Cardinals and Hopkins and 14 catches for 151 yards. You mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo's performance, the 49ers' performance. Chris, I mean, you know, you, you know Kyle Shanahan as well as anyone. Uh, what's what's his reaction going to be to this? Well, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to be happy with his offensive execution across the board. They didn't run the ball all that well. That's something they're used to doing as far as dominating the line of scrimmage there. Nothing really to speak of. The pass game was really inconsistent too. Other than that one big play to Raheem Mostert, they never really got anything going. And then especially when Kittle got hurt, that was a big blow to the football team because I'm sure Shanahan – 
had more than normal like uh, plays than George Kittle because of the injuries they have at the wide receiver position. So then you cut him out. That's one less weapon. And then, you know, what we saw at the end of the game, you know, I, I got to address that. You know, there was just, quite honestly, throws that should be hit for touchdowns that could have won the game. There was an out and up to Kendrick Bourne, and Kendrick Bourne, I know I saw on social media last night, he said it was his fault. He's got to come back. I mean, he's being a great teammate. That was a crap throw. I don't know what else to say. And then on the fourth down, hey, it's an out route. Guy's open. He threw it late, threw it behind him, threw it soft, lets the guy break on the ball, knocks it away. So they didn't play good football. They're going to have to go back to the drawing board and, and get used to being hunted like they are as the uh, Super Bowl you know, attendee last year. There was one throw near the end where it, it was just like he uh, Jimmy Garoppolo threw it up for grabs, and there was a Cardinal, and there was a 49er in the end zone. And it, it wasn't like a traditional 50-50 ball. I mean, it was a No, I think that's the one you're talking ball. about, the one it where was, Patrick was, Peterson put his hands up and it hit his hands, yeah. right? Right? Yeah. It was two kids jostling for position. His dad threw him a candy bar. That's what it looked like. Yeah, no, there was, uh, I think, a number of underwhelming-looking throws that came out of the hand of Jimmy Garoppolo yesterday. And again, this is what we talked about a little on our podcast when we did our picks and things like that. The question of the 49ers is still going to be Jimmy Garoppolo until he shuts everybody up. Because, again, what we saw yesterday is when the Shanahan run scheme can't dominate and things like that and serve up plays on a silver platter – can Jimmy Garoppolo pick up the slack and go, hey, guys, I make $27.5 million. Jump on my shoulders. Well, I'll make some plays here. And that's been very spotty through his career there in San Francisco so far. So we'll see where it goes. Well, we have some Kyle sound. You know, I know I'll tell you after the sound the specific reason why they lost the game. Here's Kyle after the game. We had a number of chances to win that game. You know, I thought we started out very well. Um that we had a chance to run away with a little bit in the first half. Anytime you average eight yards of play and you're holding them pretty good on the other side of the ball, I thought we'd have more points to show for it than what we did. Um, it's I know why we didn't. You know, we didn't convert one third down in the first half. We didn't convert one fourth down, and we didn't convert in the red zone. So no matter how well you do on first and second down, you're not going to get many points um, when you are over in all the other situational areas. Dominant teams overcome that though, and I really do think that the reason they lost. You saw that picture there what happened to the to the skater hat you can't change hats I thought his wife had made it clear to him he's got to wear the hat from last year that is not the hat from last year you're right that's a new hat you're that's right. why they lost right. period all right analytics yep analytics you're right that's next level analytics I'm about to send <laughs> I'm gonna have to send a text message over to the Shanahan family and tell them to get their crap straight what are they thinking there yeah but he said it that was a great explanation you know and again some of the things he mentioned about you know, as far as red zone, third down, those are quarterback areas. Those are the, the great quarterbacks yesterday didn't have issues there. You know, again, you got to be able to make a play. And I know their offense is a little banged up right now and not that way. But again, this was the, the Arizona Cardinals. It's not exactly the steel curtain either. And their pass rush wasn't that overwhelming to where plays couldn't be made and things like that. So they got to go back to the drawing board. They got to get healthy. Uh, and hopefully George Kittle is healthy because that'll be a really big blow to them too if, if he can't play for a few weeks. And that's where stats can be misleading. Consider this. Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers were good and right. his passer rating. And I like the passer rating stat because it stands the test of time. It's been around forever. It's apples to apples. But 
Jimmy Garoppolo had 103 passer rating yesterday. Kyler Murray had a 78. Yeah, it's wrong. Better quarterback eh, was yesterday. Exactly right. Eh, wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's too much put on completion percentage and just touchdown passes. You get too much of credit for that at time. I mean, yeah, it was a nice play to Raheem Mostert, but you and me could have thrown that. Come on. You know, so that's there is context does matter. And you certainly knew who the better quarterback was on the field in the game yesterday. They need receivers who are effective. They need Debo Samuel back. He was placed, I think, on injured reserve yes, right before the weekend. Was. So that means he's out for three weeks. And that's one of the things we got to get used to this season. The roster flexibility rules allow a player to be put on IR for just three weeks. Usually you hear that and you think, this is bad, this is serious. And they have stressed you can use it this year for minor injuries because they want to have – maximum players available in the event of a COVID-19 outbreak. And it's going to create a situation where there will be teams that stash players, but that's fine. They're accepting that because that's the balance they're striking to ensure that maximum players are available. Hey, Debo's not going to be available the first few weeks. Get him off the roster, get someone else on. So that's just one more body that's here in the event that we have an issue with COVID-19. You know what? The best news is, even though it was weird yesterday to see all those empty stadiums, not a not a hint, not a whiff, not an issue with the pandemic. Hopefully that will continue. When yeah. we continue, Sunday night game, a couple questionable calls, one on the new head coach in Dallas, one on the officiating crew marred what could have been the Cowboys' victory in the first game at SoFi Stadium. We'll talk about that next year on PFT Live. What do you think of Burrow? I'm going glass half full. I loved Joe Burrow. I loved his poise. I loved to see his teammates rally around him. And the last drive, when they needed him to take it down, yeah. he did his part. He took them down the field to the end zone. Right. We were on with the show, and we're watching the monitor, and here he is in the two-minute drill, and he's doing this. He's signaling plays oh. to guys. He had complete command and control. He had a rushing touchdown earlier as well. Rodney, what do you think of Burrow? Mike, that, that point that you just made, he had total control. You think about a rookie. Most rookie quarterbacks come in and they're just trying to fit in, not step on toes. This guy, with his humility and his leadership, he stepped right in and he took control. And also, you saw him scramble on a couple plays, man. Just the athleticism, the smooth movement. I think Cincinnati knocked it out the park. He's going to be a great one. Mike? It's just Cincinnati. I mean, see how that game ended, right? The missed field goal that would have forced overtime. I, I can't help but think of the late, great Gordon Jump, the line from WKRP in Cincinnati after they dropped turkeys out of the helicopter. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Welcome to Cincinnati where they think turkeys can fly and they think balls Do you believe in don't Mike? go off uprights. He's going to have to do a lot on his own. He needs a lot of help around him because he's got years he's of got stuff help that he's got to reverse. But it is Cincinnati. He needs a kicker. He needs a kicker. Who was the DJ on WKRP in Cincinnati? Dr. Johnny Doc, Fever. Uh, Johnny Fever. Dr. Johnny, Johnny Fever. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Just watching it live, it looked like two guys hand-fighting. I-, I thought it was well-executed. Uh, I, was su- I was surprised there was a call there uh, either way. So, um, yeah, very uh, obviously disappointed in the, in the call. Uh, particularly at that point in the game. I, I thought they let both teams play tonight. And, you know, the, you, you just don't usually see that, p- particularly at a critical point in the game. It's one-on-one. Uh, Michael Gallup's a guy that, that I trust every time, uh, especially in a deep ball situation. And so I just put, up, put it out there, um, try to let him go run under it. Um, from my point of view, obviously, you can't see anything. So um, you can't see necessarily a push off, or I didn't see anything on that play. But some you have to go back, have to go back and look at it on tape. It was clear as day. If they wouldn't have called that, then I would have been highly upset. Um, so, yeah, that was clear as day, in my opinion. <clears throat> I don't know what y'all saw, but that's what I, that's what I, that's what I saw and felt out there. Ah, oh, he was selling it so well until the end when he smiled. I mean, look, this is football. When something goes your way. You characterize it a certain way. When it goes against you, you're unhappy about it. That's all the broader dance of trying to posture and position for calls, Chris. But that offensive pass interference call on Michael Gallup. I I tweeted last night, if Gallup's wearing number 88 for the Cowboys, that ball doesn't get called. I I just – it it was – you know, it's I understand. I saw I saw a little bit of that. Right. There was a little arm stuff, but not enough for a flag. Was there uh, for me? There was Mike. I, I, I think he's laughing there because he's like, you know, he wants to be like, you know, he doesn't know how to react because he wants to be like, are you crazy? You know, listen, if they're not going to call that on wide receivers then they forget defense, I don't know. You know, again, they're running at full speed. When you can put your arm back, bar somebody, and then catapult yourself forward as the other person gets pushed back, then damn, let's just take the defenses off the field because the, the rules the def- are. But it's not. But it's not like Ramsey was just standing there being manhandled by Michael Gallup. They were both jostling. Haven't we had that conversation so many times about why replay review wasn't appropriate for pass interference because there's so much of that stuff that goes on, and we're gonna pick it through frame by frame to see what is and what isn't pass interference. Yep. I I I think one of the realities of not having replay review is the backup is they throw the flag last night. If there was replay review, maybe they wouldn't have thrown the flag and it wouldn't have been overturned. Oh, and the I, Cowboys I would have been in business to tie the game. I don't think so. I don't. I I, I from the get-go, as soon as I saw it, I went, damn, he he pushed off. You know, again, yes, was there hand fighting going on? Certainly. But he made the last big aggressive move. No contact was made like that. And when you're running at that speed, it doesn't take much. I mean, it doesn't. Again, if the defender, if the roles were reversed and the defender did that to the wide receiver, it'd be called every time. I mean, and, and, and then some, even if it was less egregious. So I don't have a problem with that. I don't. I really don't. 
Um, it's unfortunate, and I understand that it can go either way in that moment, but I did think that was pass interference. Now, there was another hey, call. Here's Tony Corrente. Go go Tony Corrente, the yeah. referee for the game last night, right. said afterward, I can tell you it was clear and obvious on the field of a hand into the opposing player, a full arm extension that created separation. In all situations, that would be called. See? I think he's... I think he's overestimating well, the quality of the officials to say in all situations that would be called. Because one of the reasons why there's a strong argument to be made not to call it is we've seen that play before and it doesn't get called. Well, That's yeah. the problem. That one, I know. You're right. They're the, yes, pass interference is not perfect. It, we got to deal with it. There's human error involved and all that. You know, but that that is one there where I I think we're all underestimating the effect of well, here's two guys running 4-3, and one guy gets to push off and go to 4-2 and knock the other guy back to running 4-5. And that's 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 there's no way. So I had no problem with the call. Um, it was one a, last question. Yes, go ahead. Before you pivot, because yeah. I know you want to pivot, but I want to ask you one more question. Yeah. Mike McCarthy's comment on the call came from the notion that that's the moment in the game where you swallow the whistle and you cram the 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 flag deeper into the pocket. I've never been a fan of that. I think no. the rule should be the same all game long, but we see the human dynamics where there's a reluctance to throw that flag in that moment. Are you okay with the flag coming out in that moment, or is that the let them play phase of the game? No, I am okay with that. To me, that that crossed the uh, the to me the egregious line there. It, it does. To me, I go, no, that that's you're letting too much go there. If it had stayed or it was hand fighting, hand fighting, hand fighting, and then uh, Gallup just caught the football, I would have gone, that's fine. They were both kind of doing it. But it was hand-fighting, 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 hard pushing the shoulder, catapult myself, catch the ball. Uh, that, to me, is is too too much. Do your hand-fighting, hand-fighting, hand-fighting. Hand-fighting, hand-fighting, hand-fighting. Hand no, no, no. It's like it, that's like that's like a hand fight between a couple of T-Rexes. <laughs> All right. Uh, what was the other call that, that bothered you? Well, what kick a field goal. I mean, what? It's 20 to 17. It's fourth and three. Your offense hasn't been the greatest show on turf. Your defense, yes, has been getting moved on, but the Rams aren't scoring like touchdowns. They're not blowing you out of the, the you know, the SoFi Stadium. It'll just kick the field goal. Make it 20 20. If you think your team's the better team on the field, just believe that the longer the game's played, the better team will reveal itself. But. They took themselves out of that right there and then had to play from behind and really couldn't stay with the style of football they wanted to play because now we're late in the fourth quarter and we're down by three and we got to maybe can't be as patient with the run game and things like that. Uh, so I did not like that call. Yeah, when it was 20 to 14, they kicked the field goal to make it 20 to 17 on fourth down. And then when it was 20 to 17, they, they, they eschew the field goal. And uh, it, uh, it was a mistake. And it was great defensive play. Chris it Collinsworth was. pointed it out great last tackle. night. For the safety to get around everyone and yeah. keep C.D. Lamb from getting to the sticks. we got an hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be back with more right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. 
and you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.